Pakistan Tariki Insaf Party, Imran Khan, announced he would also lead a march today in the centre of the capital, Islamabad. Mr Khan insists that last year's national elections were rigged. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Very good morning to you. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, the NPC Standing Committee will meet next week to deliberate on Hong Kong's political reform. Fosun International is reportedly looking to buy a U.S. unit of Swiss Re, and global stocks rise on a drop in geopolitical tension. So some of the stories that we'll be following for you this morning. We'll also have a special focus on the Democrats' meeting with Liaison Chief Zheng Xiaoming. Mr. Chang hasn't really been very uh, uh, exact in defining what they what they mean, and to us it seems like still uh, a lot of reasons that they try to give in order to justify that they will need to uh, have certain high level degree of of screening. Of screening. That's legislator Charles Mock. He was in that meeting and we'll be speaking live with Frederick Fung, who also attended the meeting from the ADPL at about 845 this morning here on the program. Other guests include Graham Bibby of Richmond Asset Management on markets. We'll also be discussing China's softening housing market with Ben Cavender of China Market Research Group. And Kevin Lai of Daiwa Capital Markets will be with us to talk about the Hong Kong economy. If it's struggling now, as the latest GDP numbers suggest, Why are stock and property markets booming so much? And we'll also preview Fed Chair Janet Yellen at the big talk shop of central bankers that is Jackson Hole. I think she's been very articulate uh, that she would like to see increases in real wages uh, as uh, definitive proof Mm -hmm. that we have taken up slack uh, in the labor market. That's PIMCO's Paul McCulley. And what does he think of the overall backdrop? It's a very tepid global economy. I'm not sure exactly the right adjective, but the only one that comes to mind at this time of day is tepid. So some more views from him, Paul McCulley, and uh, others on the program. Asian markets are off and running this morning. A lot of green numbers here. The Nikkei's up 122 points at 15,445. That's a gain of four-fifths of 1%. And in Australia, the market's up as well, up five points. In Seoul, the Cosby's up 11 points. So you might be scratching your head, as many of us are. But, um, you know, markets are really charging forward now. And uh, whatever we thought last week might have been a correction seems to be long gone for the moment. Let's take a look at currencies. The dollar is trading at 102.62 yen. So that's the dollar a little stronger against the yen. The euro 1.336 US and the pound is now worth 12 Hong Kong dollars and 96 cents. So we have a lot to cover on the program this morning. Uh, Let's start first with the political reform, our top story this morning. Uh, and then we'll get to our guests in just a moment. Graham Bibby uh, is is with us in our studios. Graham, good morning to you. Hi, how you doing? Good morning. I'm yeah, doing yeah, very well. Yeah, well, you've got to wait a few minutes. Just wanted to say hi. And you can get back into your laptop for a couple of minutes because we're going to do this uh, political reform. And then we come back and get some sharp views on markets uh, from you. Xinhua says the NPC Standing Committee will meet in Beijing next week to talk about political reform in Hong Kong. Of course, it's not to decide because it ultimately will 
have to be decided as well here with a two-thirds vote in LegCo, but that comes much later. This came as the director of Beijing's liaison office held talks with pan-Democrats yesterday. LegCo's IT representative Charles Mock was there. He was asked about democracy versus national security as a topic of discussion. I think we have tried to uh, uh, tell them that the two concepts are not uh, mutually contradicting in any way. You know, uh, the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, the Beijing has uh, keep on talking about needing to uh, select a patriot. Uh, and uh, we're going basically saying that uh, that uh, isn't necessarily the, the, the concern about uh, uh, national security. is not really anything that uh, contradicts uh, our demands for democracy. But uh, I think the problem is uh, when we are talking about any of these abstract concepts like be, uh, being patriotic or national security and so on, uh, uh, Mr. Chang hasn't really been very uh, uh, exact in defining what they, what they mean. And to us, it seems like still uh, a lot of reasons that they try to give in order to justify that they will need to uh, have certain high-level degree of of screening, and uh, when I was talking, I was trying to ask them to uh, uh, be more precise about, well, uh, you know, talking about or negotiating about uh, the, for example, fifty percent of the nominating committee uh, needing to approve certain candidates, and these would be a very high uh, uh, screening standard. You know, basically, he hasn't really responded to these uh, very specific uh, issues. That's legislator Charles Mock from the IT sector. Um, he was at the meeting. So was Frederick Fong from the ADPL. And again, we'll talk to him at about 845. On to markets on Wall Street. Stocks rose sharply. Global tensions appeared to ease. Home builders rose as confidence in the industry spiked to the highest level in seven months. Internet and biotech stocks also rallied. The S&P 500 was up almost 1% at 1971. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 175 points at 16,838. The Nasdaq jumped 1% for the day and is getting ever closer to that level of 5,000 when it crashed back in the year 2000. Fed policymakers will be on hand at Jackson Hole, Wyoming this week. And PIMCO's Paul McCulley was asked what Janet Yellen, the chair of the U.S. Fed, might say. I think she will be a wonk because it is a wonk uh, environment, but speaking on the labor market, and I think she will communicate uh, her head and her heart, Mm. which is that she's very much a principled populist. Not just a populist, but a principled populist. And what does that mean? What does being a principled populist mean about her possible approach to rates? She wants to see meaningful recovery in the U.S. labor market right. uh, before she gets wrapped around any axle about inflation. Uh, Wall Street always gets wrapped around the axle, and she's basically going right. to say, I ain't joining you, uh, that I have a principled populist perspective. And I think she's been very articulate uh, that she would like to see increases in real wages uh, as uh, definitive proof mm-hmm. that we have taken up slack uh, in the labor market. So that's Paul McCulley at PIMCO. Bob Cinch, meantime, at Pierpont Securities, says Ms. Yellen does not really have to worry about inflation. Inflation pressures are really big in the 60s and 70s when the baby boomers, this big demographic group, was going through their consumption years. Uh, we're now aging. You know, we're not consuming as much. We're not forming households. I think that has a lot to do with global disinflation. 
And he thinks that a lot of that is due to an aging population. Part of this, I think, is, is demographic. We've talked about this a number of times. But, you know, populations in these major economies are at best stagnant, in some cases declining. Mm -hmm. uh, that does a lot to aggregate demand and, and has an impact on inflation pressures as we go forward. So, again, that's uh, Bob Singe from Pierpont Securities. Let's go back to Mr. McCulley and his tepid economy. It's a very tepid global economy. I'm not sure exactly the right adjective, but the only one that comes to mind at this time of day is tepid. Uh, and I think it has profound implications when we think about the environment uh, that will be discussed in Jackson Hole, uh, because the United States is not an island. Uh, we live in a global economy. Well, looking at European markets, the FTSE 100 was up 52 points, a gain of eight-tenths of a percent, 67.41. The DAX rallied very sharply, up 152 points to 92.45. Again, uh, the fact that the Ukrainian foreign minister and uh, the Russian uh, foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, met for five hours for talks in Berlin, that really brought down a lot of the tensions uh, between Russia and Ukraine. And markets in Europe rallied. Again, the DAX up 1.6%, uh, the CAC Courant in Paris up 1.3%. So let's say good morning to Graham Bibby, Chief Executive of Richmond Asset Management. Graham, good morning. Good morning. So markets, I guess, just here in the past few days, anything but the the tepid that we heard from Paul McCulley about economic growth. So what gives? Yeah, that's a good question. What does give? Um, <laughs> for me, this is the, uh, we've just gone through, it appears anyway, the third a uh, little shakeout of the year um, in the markets, and, and the U.S. is driving all other markets. So we had a shakeout in January, in the March to April, and we've come. We came back to support levels, and I'm a bit surprised we haven't had more of a shakeout. But I think sometimes bad news is good news, as is good news sometimes bad news. And th this talk about the tepid outlook is actually uh, supportive for the markets because right now there's a by the baby boomers, there's, there's a need to feed. And uh, if you put your money in the bank, obviously you get no interest. So it's driving people into the stock market where they're looking for either capital growth or dividends. Yes, um, it's interesting to talk about this uh, divergence. Uh, the last thing I read last night before I went to bed was I get this uh, newsletter from McVean Trading and Investments. And let me just read. Uh, this is uh, written by Michael Dury, who's a uh, kind of a well-known economist. Uh, I just want to read... I'll simplify it because we don't have all this much time. But this kind of uh, summarizes all the troubles out there. He says, uh, for Western Europe, the tension with Russia over Ukraine has erased all the goodwill developed since the fall of communism. Within Europe, a lack of political consensus uh, is limiting risk taking. And then he says in Japan, the failure of the third arrow to spur growth has been compounded by the impact of the tax increase. In China, the government's corruption campaign has undermined the long tradition of Guangxi. That is the real glue in contracts and investments. Commodities producers are suffering. Argentina is devolving into chaos, while Brazil missed an opportunity with the World Cup and is limping toward the Olympics. And also, the Middle East is again in turmoil, from Israel to Iraq to Afghanistan mm -hmm. to Pakistan. I mean, it is a litany of all things to worry about, and yet we see... Um, we see investors kind of looking beyond it, I guess. They like the low-rate environment, and that appears not to be changing at the moment. Yes. Um, well, I made a few notes before we started this conversation, and the first one was change is constant. 
Um, and this is, to me, the ultimate business is the business of money. But people underestimate the psychology of investors and the psychology of markets. Um, as you know, I'm pretty proactive in following those trends. So um, in the last few weeks, we'd actually um, send out signals that people should be roughly 50% in cash as trends were reversing. They broke stop losses. Um, but now we're breaking out again to the upside. We're breaking above moving averages. So this is if you want to make money in the stock market, to me, it doesn't work as most people think it works, and it certainly hasn't over the last perhaps decade. Uh, you need to follow money flows. You need to follow trends. Isn't uh, it tricky, though, because, um, you know, you had people 50-50, and then we see this kind of bounce. Are you able to get back in in time? Oh, yeah, no problem with that. I mean, last year, if you followed my methodology, there was a 32% return. And twice we went very heavily into cash. One was when the U.S. was threatening to bomb Syria. A lot of trends went negative. So the, the, the idea in the stock market, to me, is you go in with the opposite reason of what most people go in for. You go in to limit the downside, and then the upside will take care of itself. Because in, in a certain degree, it's like a casino, and this casino is rigged to go up because everybody wants it to go up from the Federal Reserve to the companies to whatever. Um, but we never know when those down drafts are going to be a global financial crisis or a tech wreck. So we've got to go in with protection in mind. And when the trends are up, I have a whole litany of undervalued superior earnings growth stocks roughly under an 80 in my watch list. But I only buy when the trends are up. And if for any reason the trends are down, I don't care how good the fundamentals are, we're out. So the trend is your friend. That's a popular saying that you have. Um, mm. But what about these market timers who worry about trend exhaustion? Uh, you know, are you able to get – I mean, I suppose that a trend can change and sort of change slowly, giving you time to get out. But sure. sometimes they happen quite abruptly. Uh, never seen it. Um, I went back and did analysis when I was writing my book, Master Your Mind, Master Your Money. I went back to 1890. You're a master of promoting your books. <laughs> you, get, have you, you, you have to give it a bit of a – but it is, it's, a, it's a mind game. I mean, that's what I'm trying to get to. And if you look back every, every year and uh, consistently for 100 years, undervalued superior earnings growth stocks – uh, by the very nature, will ultimately outperform the market. But in the correction periods, they can even correct more. So I, I, don't, I don't know if you realize this, but I don't look at live screens. All, all my returns are looking at closing prices. And I don't believe, I've never seen markets suddenly turn overnight and then we've had a 30% down, downturn. Even in the 1987 stock market crash, most of the markets had given sell signals uh, before the hurricane hit Lon London and the market was closed and on, on the money. We were in a kind of free fall. That was that was a very quick crash, as you know, because by Wednesday the market settled, and Friday we're in a new uptrend. So I, I, I think um, <laughs> nothing has changed. There are always worries out there from the Cuban missiles all the way all that way ago. All sorts of things. There's always something new there. Yeah, we've had lots of wars, and and markets have not always stumbled uh, mm. when these things are happening. Mm. Uh, well, let's take a look at China and Hong Kong because most people mm. listening to this program would be here. Admittedly, some outside um, the country, but uh, for those people here thinking a lot about, say, Hong Kong and China stocks. So what do your trend readings say at the moment? Well, um, you know, in this sell-off, um, the thing that didn't sell off was China. And um, for me, if I'm playing those markets, or I play Asian markets, I prefer to recommend to people to do ETFs because it's too difficult at getting a spread of specific stocks. Uh, and a lot of the China-related funds, for example, I've got here in the breakout from June, um, 
gone from 46 to 51, didn't correct in this in this correction. Um, it's it's quite interesting to me anyway to to bear in mind that the Shanghai index only recently was at the same level it was in 2001, <laughs> and appears to have just broken out of an 18 month downtrend to the upside. So I think China looks um, pretty good at this moment. And do you like the trackers or do you like individual uh, um, shares? Uh, are you allowed to talk about individual shares? Well, we're we're not really into individual shares on this in on this um, part of it. Uh, and again, I think through trackers, ETF trackers, you know, the, that, that, that's why I get so excited about markets. There's never been so much opportunity that there is now because there's exchange traded funds for people not sure what ETFs are yeah. on everything <laughs> virtually. Um, you can bet and, to the upside, to the downside and pick a commodity, pick a market, yeah. pick uh, anything. Yeah. And you can have, um, unleveraged or leveraged. I don't really um, support the idea of having leverage, but you can. Uh, so China looks good. Um, Hong Kong broke out in July, and as you said, it's still in that uptrend. Uh, Indonesia, Philippines, I've mentioned on your program before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philippines has gone from 32 in January to 38. So why try to be too smart picking individual stocks? India, India still looks good. Yeah, India had a bit of a correction from 55 to 45. And I would say that is a laggard, which is going to pick up. And Thailand looks good as well. Um, I'm also interested in Europe because Europe had a 15 mm-hmm. to 20% correction. There's no reversal there yet, but that looks quite interesting. And Latin America has broken out to the Side again. So in the case of, of Europe, um, you know, looking at the DAX, uh, just to pick an index, it had been up over 10,000. And as I mentioned this morning, it rebounded last uh, night, but it had dropped all the way down to just around 9,000. So how many days on the upside for you before you call that a trend? Yeah, well, EWG is the German ETF. And that had gone over 32 and had gone all the way down to 28. So it looks like it's bottoming. But, you know, you know, uh, besides being trend following, a little bit momentum following. So th- these markets are lagging. So I think Asia will outperform and Latin America will outperform if you're looking at specific ETFs. And, and sorry, sorry. Could you could you explain the difference between trend and momentum in your uh, methodology? OK, well, a, well, a trend is is just basically that we in an uptrend or a downtrend. Could be very slow, but momentum brings yeah, in um, the accelerator. Uh, yeah, momentum is how fast one market's moving over another because markets seem more correlated than ever before. So if we're in an uptrend, you want to be in those things that are going to be outperforming. And if we're in a downtrend, basically, you don't want to be invested. So on country-specific, Asia uh, certainly Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, Latin America, I'd probably go for a Latin American broad-based fund. Um, but then there are sector funds as well, like semiconductors and biotech, which uh, for me have held up there and, and, and are doing quite well. So Germany in that is more of a pickup situation. Um, and if you're looking for exposure, I would I would say because the other markets appear to have bottomed. This is very early. Obviously, in the last two nights, we've got this breakout to the upside again where the U.S. market, led by the NASDAQ, really, it, its strength has okay. broken above those moving averages. A lot of beautiful words there, a lot of it washing over us. Um, but to crystallize it, uh, what's your single best idea at the moment? Um, well, I still – see, what I like about undervalued stocks and superior earnings growth, you have a backdrop of fundamentals. So I've got some stocks at 30 to 40 times earnings growth with PEs or 8 or 9. So in that sector, without mentioning specific stocks, and if somebody wants to get the newsletter, I'm happy to send it to them. But uh, I like airlines, funnily enough, U.S. airlines, rental yeah. and leasing companies, semiconductor 
biotech and some tech stocks. Okay. And if, if people want a few old chestnuts, Facebook, Apple, uh, we still got, we still recommend those and they're still in strong uptrends. Okay. You got your commentary in. You got your plug in. Uh, thanks very much, Graham. Thank you. Graham Bibby, who is chief executive of Richmond Asset Management and long a guest on this program. So one of the items that he was talking about uh, was China stocks and Hong Kong stocks. Uh, well, China property prices, uh, some a huge uh, slog of data out yesterday uh, looking at some 70 cities. And if you take these numbers from the Wall Street Journal, prices weakened in July when compared against the prior month. Average home prices down almost 1%, the drop uh, coming on the heels of about half a percent decline in June from May. Prices for the 70 cities tracked. Still higher than they were a year ago, though, having risen 2.4%. Let's get some insight on what's happening with the market in China with Ben Cavender, Senior Analyst at China Market Research Group. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So the movement in property prices has a few people on edge. Uh, it's happening at a time when we're seeing a rebound in equity prices. First, are the two related at all? Uh, I, I don't know how related they are necessarily. I do think consumers are looking at uh, you know where they're going to get the best gains on their money, and I, and I, I think that there's some concern right now that uh, housing may not be it. So in that some sense, there might be some uh, relationship. I'm not sure how comfortable consumers are still with the stock market. I think they're still worried about whether or not they're going to see real gains there, uh, just because the, the run the markets has been so dismal for so long. But they don't really have anywhere to put their money, and so that's why they're doing that. If you look at housing prices uh, right now, um, there's a lot of money on the table. You know, When you talk to consumers, a lot of people are still interested in buying homes, but they're kind of in a wait-and-see attitude right now. Number one, I think they're wondering what local governments are going to do as far as easing some of the policies on home buying, whether they might bring down uh, down payment rates, something like that. And then I think the other key thing as well is that um, mortgage rates haven't been as favorable as they've been in the past. It used to be that if you were a first-time home buyer, you could get really good discounts on your mortgage. Uh, a lot of banks aren't doing that anymore. Uh, and so consumers are sort of waiting to see whether or not prices can to come down a little bit or whether or not banks change their minds before they are start you, putting money in. Are you sensing any panic at the moment? No, I, I don't think I don't think there's too much panic. I mean, I think uh, if you talk to developers, they're, they're concerned. They recognize that they're going to have to keep offering bigger and bigger discounts to move inventory. I think that's where the worry comes in uh, right now. Uh, I think there's something like 31 cities in China that have uh, housing inventory sort of above what it really should be. Uh, I think developers are trying to work down the inventory. And so I think where there might be some panic coming in is just how do we move all of this and you know how much are we going to have to discount to do that. But uh, overall, I think it's more a case of sort of controlled downward pressure um, on, on prices right now. So a correction, which almost any market uh, can use, uh, a little time to catch its breath. Uh, what sort of correction, if you were a betting man, would you uh, would you guess at? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be drastic. I think for the whole year, we're probably looking at maybe flat flat growth overall in housing prices. If you look at what's going to happen in the next couple of months, we might see another one or two months where 
um, prices continue to drop a little bit compared to the previous month, but I don't think we're going to see a, a, a massive drop off in uh, in value. You guys look at data and you do a lot of interviews, uh, so we're quite interested because most of us would be concerned that you could see a housing um, collapse, uh, you know, reminiscent of what happened in Europe or the United States, and that that would seriously disrupt the economy. So we're all looking for signs. What are the signs that you watch? Well, I, you know, I think we look at overall consumer sentiment in terms of whether or not they're expecting to spend more or uh, spend less for the year overall, not just on housing, but on other products as well. And we also look at how leveraged they are. And if you look at the housing market in China, I think one of the things that really separates it from, say, the U.S. or Europe is that you don't have all these subprime mortgages. You have people, if they are buying a home, that are essentially putting 30, 40, 50 percent down at time of sale. Uh, and so we're not likely to see that kind of a crisis. I think where you do run into problems is sort of on the developer side with the amount of new housing they've been pumping to the system. So what we'd like to see going forward is that the government continue to stimulate the economy by pushing retail sales growth rather than pushing infrastructure growth or making it easy for developers to build more. Uh, and so that's sort of the key thing to watch going forward, I think. So we all sense that there isn't much leverage on the individual side, but people worry about the developers and about the uh, provincial governments. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that's a fair worry as well. There, there's a lot of debt at the provincial government level. A lot of these developers have had to turn to shadow banking to raise the funds they've needed to raise in order to build. And so I think that's where you have the potential to run into problems. I don't think it's going to mean that the overall economy is slowed down too much past where it currently is. I think that the central government's going to manage that. But if, if we are going to talk about tough times going forward, that's probably where it's going to come from. We saw yesterday that the government would um, would move to uh, reduce prices in energy. Um, will that be good for people? Will that be a few extra bucks in their pocket? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know people people are very attuned to that. Even if they can afford to pay the higher prices, there's psychology at play. Um, so they're going to like the idea of energy prices coming down. Depending on how far it applies, it also helps businesses as well in terms of sort of maintaining their efficiency. Um, you know, if you look at what's happened this year or just recently with uh, FDI, uh, it, it's kind of been a, a bad month last month in July with, with money coming into the manufacturing sector specifically. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the higher costs involved in doing business here, both in terms of just raw costs and also uh, employee costs, too. What are the sectors that look the most interesting to you right now in terms of, you know, reading the mood of consumers? Uh, what, are, what are they like at the moment? Well, I think that, you know, if you look at what consumers are doing and you look at what's still going to be staying strong here, um, I think we should see uh, some consumer electronics companies doing quite well over the next couple of months, just new products coming into the pipeline. If you look at, say, Xiaomi or Apple, for example, um, I, I think that they're going to see strong sales uh, coming out of China. I think you look at tourism as well. People are continuing to spend on, on travel and experiential spending. I, I think as consumers worry about sort of their overall ability to generate new wealth, they're starting to try and focus on kind of enjoying life more. And so products that cater to that, services that cater to that are going to do well. Here was a cute thing out overnight that uh, Xiaomi's uh, CEO, Mr. Lei, issued an ice bucket challenge to Foxconn's Terry Goh and Baidu's Robin Lee. Has the ice bucket challenge, um, you know, had much of a presence in China? I, you know, I, I don't think it has yet. I think that's something that's sort of really kind of almost sort of stuck in the tech community. We might see more of that kind of thing. You know, China's becoming more kind of plugged in 
globally to to trends like this that are happening overseas. So we we might see more of that, but yep. uh, it, it hasn't been huge so far. Okay, Ben, we got to go. Unfortunately, uh, uh, that um, ice bucket challenge, obviously, uh, to support uh, people suffering with Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, but uh, Ben, uh, always a pleasure to have you on, and thank you. Ben Cavender, Senior Analyst with China Market Research Group on Money for Nothing. Markets are all higher. The Nikkei's up 125 points. Gains of more than half a percent in most of the markets. Weather-wise today, just a bit of the same. Some sunshine, but also chance of heavy showers. At times, maximum temperature 32. The news is next. It is just a tick after 8.30, the latest news with Samantha Butler. The airport authority has been warned if it doesn't come up with better mitigation measures to preserve white dolphins off North Lantau and cut noise pollution, its environmental impact assessment of the proposed third runway will be rejected. This came from the deputy chairman of the Advisory Council on the Environment's EIA subcommittee. Hong Wing Tat told RTHK that government advisers were far from happy with the airport authority's report on the impact of the runway project. Members would really like to support the project, but we cannot accept something that is substandard. We cannot set the precedence that no mitigation measure would be proposed for the long constructional period, and that would set a very bad example. So it is really up to AA Hong Kong to propose something. Now the consequence would be if there is nothing changed, it would be highly unlikely that the EIA report be passed without any conditions. President Obama says Iraqi and Kurdish forces have made a major step forward by recapturing the strategic Mosul Dam from the jihadist group Islamic State in northern Iraq. Speaking at the White House, Mr Obama said they demonstrated that they were capable of working together. Iraqi and Kurdish forces took the lead on the ground and performed with courage and determination. So this operation demonstrates that Iraqi and Kurdish forces are capable of working together and taking the fight to ISIL. If they continue to do so, they will have the strong support of the United States of America. Reports say fighting for control of the area surrounding the dam is continuing. A 24-hour extension to the current truce in Gaza has been agreed between Israel and Hamas. The announcement came less than an hour before a temporary five-day ceasefire was set to expire. The BBC's Kevin Connolly reports from Jerusalem. The gulf between the two sides remains substantial, based as it is not just on the last month of conflict, but on generations of enmity and mistrust. The Egyptian strategy is to place long-term vexed issues like the blockade on hold and to deal first with the need to create a more durable and more stable ceasefire. The 24-hour extension keeps that strategy on track, but the clock is already ticking towards the next deadline. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning. It's 8.33. This is Money for Nothing on Radio 3. I'm Brian Curtis. Guests coming up in the next half hour, Kevin Lai, an economist at Daiwa Capital Markets. He's a little concerned about growth in Hong Kong. And we'll also be speaking with Frederick Fung from the ADPL about constitutional reform. That has been our top story this morning for much of the morning. The NPC Standing Committee meeting next week to deliberate on Hong Kong's political reform. Some of the other stories that we've been looking at, Fosun International is reportedly looking to buy a, a U.S. unit of Swiss Re. I'll tell you more about that later. Later, And we've seen a sharp stock rally overnight with markets in Europe and the United States uh, benefiting greatly. Here at home, the airport authority has been warned that if it doesn't come up with better mitigation measures to try to preserve dolphins off North Lantau and to cut noise pollution, then the vote on the third runway could be rejected. This came from the deputy chairman of the advisory council um, on the environment's EIA subcommittee. Hong Wing Tat told RTHK's Mike Weeks that the government advisors are far from happy with the airport authority's report on the impact of the runway project. Like to support the project, um, but we cannot accept something that is substandard. We cannot set the precedence that um, no mitigation measure uh, would be proposed for the construction, long constructional period, and that would set a very bad example. So it is really up to A Hong Kong to propose something. Now the consequence would be if there is nothing changed, it would be highly unlikely that um, the EIA report be passed uh, without any uh, conditions. Now the um, have you have you communicated that to the airport authority? Have they taken note of that? Well, we uh, we we actually draft up the final sets of questions and requests to them these two days. So uh, it is really up to A Hong Kong how to respond. We said it very clearly in the meeting that if nothing new is coming up, if they just repeat themselves, there's no point to further discuss. Um, we will just have to draw a conclusion on this. And that is Hong Wing Tat. The MTR Corporation's new acting chief executive, Lincoln Leung, has pledged to deliver new projects in a timely manner. He also promised greater transparency over construction. A host of problems has forced the MTRC to put back completion for a number of projects. And it also led to Mr. Leung's predecessor, Jay Walder, being uh, asked to step down a year earlier than scheduled. RTHK's Tony Flores reports. Speaking on the first day in his new post, Mr. Leung said his two major missions are to provide a high-quality railway service and to ensuring that the new projects, such as the new high-speed rail to Guangzhou, are completed and delivered in a safe and timely manner. He pledged to be transparent over the projects. We have already explained a number of the challenges that these rail lines face. These challenges have impacted the time of delivery of a number of these rail lines. Our colleagues are working very hard to deliver these rail lines as quickly as possible. Having said that, I would add that building metros, building rail systems is a very big and complicated task. In the event that there are other circumstances which may impact these lines, we will let you know 
as quickly and as soon as possible. During a tea gathering with reporters, Mr Leung also announced the launch of 600 extra weekly train trips during peak and non-peak hours to enhance services on its six busiest MTR lines. The extra trains will be brought into operation at the end of this month and in September. Within this 600 train trips, 77 of these train trips will be used to support the early bird promotion program which starts on the 1st of September. We're hoping that customers will take advantage of this early bird promotion, and between the promotion and the increase in train service, we hope that that would give our passengers a more comfortable journey. Mr. Leung pledged to maintain high-quality train service to commuters. He said up to the end of July this year, its train's on-time performance continued to be maintained at 99.9%, which he said was high when compared internationally. He said the railway would focus on quick service recovery should delays occur in a bid to minimize inconvenience to passengers. RTHK's Tony Flores reporting. Foson International is reportedly in talks to acquire a U.S. life insurance arm of Swiss Re. This from Bloomberg, quoting people with knowledge of the matter. They say that Foson is seeking to buy Aurora National Life for 400 to $500 million. A deal hasn't been reached yet, these people say, and the talks could still fall through. Well, some analysts are concerned about what they view as the growing disconnect between the local economy here and the Hong Kong stock market. Quarterly data shows Hong Kong's economy contracted 0.1% in the April to July period from the prior quarter. The economic cooling comes as the local stock index hit a multi-year high. We're joined by Kevin Lai, economist at Daiwa Capital Markets. Kevin, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. I know from talking to you in the past and reading that you're sort of a big bear. Uh, Yes, more or less. I guess. And, I, uh, and are you concerned, as we said, that there's some disconnect between uh, the economy, which doesn't seem to be performing that well at the moment, and the stock market? Well, the stock market is usually driven by different factors. Uh, I, I myself follow the fundamentals, but it looks like uh, currently the market is very much driven by liquidity. And also the expectation that uh, China will do well, will do better, and there is a big recovery going on in China. So these two expectations are very, um, these two factors are very dominant right now. But uh, as you said, uh, fundamentally in Hong Kong, uh, economy continues to struggle. Uh, the second quarter GDP is telling us that it looks like we are going through uh, a very broad bay slowdown in many uh, different areas. That might not be too surprising, given that uh, the whole world is, is suffering from uh, under or subpar growth. Um, what could be interesting, uh, in a sense I can get you to talk about the stock market, though it's not your thing, uh, because one of my guests the other day said that this uh, Hong Kong-Shanghai Connect will actually have an effect on the economy. It will actually improve the Hong Kong economy. It will lead to uh, extra liquidity and it will, it will spur some uh, activity. Do you agree? Uh, no, I think the, uh, the quota we're talking about is still quite small. Uh, and even without this uh, uh, Hong Kong China Connect, there are many existing channels for money to come in from uh, China or for, 
for money to go in uh, from Hong Kong to China. So I don't think uh, fundamentally it will make a huge difference. But of, co of course, the market expects uh, this is only the beginning of a long-term uh, reform. Uh, I think people are expecting that in the, in the long run, uh, the, the quotas will be increased, and eventually uh, that will uh, uh, that will lead to a lot more uh, money inflows into Hong Kong. That is possible. Of I mentioned that you're a big old bear. Um, what are you bearish about? What are you most concerned about? I'm most concerned about two things. First of all, uh, this very aggressive Fed uh, monetary policy, or well, it has been aggressive for 10 years more or less. Um, that policy has uh, led to a tremendous amount of uh, money inflows into Hong Kong. My calculation is about 250 billion U.S. dollar net inflows, and this money has been driving everything, driving uh, economic growth, asset price bubble, or even uh, or even property price bubble. So this money is supposed to leave Hong Kong because of the Fed's policy normalization. It may take time, but eventually uh, that will put a lot of pressure on on the market and also on the economy. The second uh, thing I'm very concerned is that because of this money inflows, it has been able to drive our loan growth, deposit growth. So, and eventually that has also allowed Chinese companies or individuals to borrow money from Hong Kong. And my calculation is China has borrowed something like one trillion U.S. dollars from Hong Kong. So you can imagine. We have taken on 250 billion U.S. from the rest of the world, but we have given one trillion U.S. dollar to China. And eventually this money has been driving uh, the money growth, shadow banking growth, local government debt, trust market, asset price bubble in China. Okay. Do you, so, think, that the main, do you think the mainland authorities are, are you know, actively trying now to reduce credit growth? The latest credit numbers were shockingly low. Shockingly no, but I guess it's, it's too late. It's too late. Well, that's, too late. A, that's a scary, uh, that's a scary <laughs> idea. Yeah, uh, you, you think our exposure, you know, so many people have bought um, high yield here. They've been stretched for yield. They've been looking for, they've loaned money to developers in China. You think that loan book, all the money that we have somehow got our hands on, borrowed, and then reloaned to China, that's going to come home to roost? Well, we have to pray. We have to pray. Nothing. Pray doesn't. Go pray, wrong. pray doesn't always work in uh, in uh, economics, does it, or in markets? Yeah, I mean, we, we have to really pray that uh, the, the the property price bubble won't burst in China. We have to pray that uh, local governments in China will have enough money to pay their debts, for example. Yeah, and I asked the previous guest who actually was uh, with me to talk about China property prices. Uh, I asked him what he would watch the most uh, carefully so as to maybe see a catalyst. Uh, what's that for you? Well, honestly, uh, the data we have from China is very inadequate or inaccurate uh, well, no, we can only follow a very small range of numbers. You know, uh, I would, you know, if, so given that, given that, I would actually uh, pay attention to, for example, in terms of uh, housing transactions, 
land sales, uh, housing investments, uh, all this, uh, all this fact, all this data, uh, in order to tell me that whether the developers, whether the local governments uh, are able to pay their debts. Uh, otherwise, I think some other data like uh, GDP or even PMI may be a little bit misleading at this point. And you're not in the camp that the good bank, bad bank. Uh, uh process uh, that has been worked before in China and also in Europe, that that won't succeed in China? Uh, unfortunately, no. I think if they were to uh, follow that route, China would have to print tremendous amount of money, and that would put pressure on the Chinese yuan. So something has to give. If they want to, do, to be more aggressive, the currency will have to go down. So they have to be very careful with that. Okay, Kevin, uh, it's always interesting to talk to you. You're a scary guy, and as I mentioned, uh, a big old bear, but it's good to have these warnings. Uh, it uh, will hopefully demand prudence from uh, many of the people listening. So thank you very much. Thank you. Kevin Lai, economist at Daiwa Capital Markets. Uh, and this is Money for Nothing. The time is 13 minutes before 8 o'clock. See the man very nice to have you with us. Uh, hopes appear slim now that Beijing will make any compromise that might allow universal suffrage to go ahead here in 2017. That was the word from lawmaker Charles Mock, as Xinhua confirmed that the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress would meet for seven days from next Monday to discuss political reform in Hong Kong. Mr. Mock was one of four pan-democratic leaders who met with the director of Beijing's liaison office yesterday. And Frederick Fong, one of the other Democrats at that meeting joins us now on the line. Mr. Fong, good morning. Good morning. So, overall, what was your impression uh, of listening to Zhang Xiaoming? It seems it seems as though there was a lot of discussion about, you know, democracy on one side and national security on the other, as though they were mutually exclusive. Yes. I think uh, after the meeting, I think we are quite sure that the national security is quite an important factor that affect the, uh, uh, the democracy development in Hong Kong. Uh, I think this is quite a different uh, direction of thinking, uh, how we develop the democracies. Uh, as we, we can see, that uh, we, we hope that we have a true democratic um, uh, elections in 2017. As we can see, that it, is, it should be good for so, uh, national security. First, uh, it, it, you give choice for Hong Kong people to choose the leaders. And second, uh, we have the participation for all uh, Hong Kong people. And thirdly, uh, since the, the uh, uh, CE being elected by Hong Kong people, we will support what his, uh, his manifestos. So it would be good for, you know, uh, for running Hong Kong. Sure, that's the um, interpretation from, from the Democrat side here. Obviously, yeah. obviously China's very concerned about that. It uh, is worried that a, a uh, Democrat might not be a patriot. Uh, because uh, he, he, I think the main point is Hong Kong, uh, from, I mean from the message from Mr. Chang, uh, the main point is Hong Kong is not a country. As I can uh, uh, find a, uh, an example to, to make, make the issue clear, uh, say, uh, if uh, it is a country, the, the uh, presidents are being elected by the people, and the president has the platform, 
and he is being elected. No matter the person is pro, say USA or pro uh, uh, Russia, it's not it's not a problem, you know. Since we are, he's supported by the people and being elected. But he said Hong Kong is not a country. Hong Kong is a, 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 a city of China. Uh, uh, as a, uh, a Chinese government, he can't have, they can't accept that. Uh, we being uh, elected uh, CE and the CE is no matter if it's for USA or for, for Russia. So, so we, 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 we know all of that. Um, the, I guess we're trying to get some uh, view from you. I mean, for instance, do you agree with Charles Mock that hope seems slim that there will be much compromise? Uh, I think uh, the gap is quite weak. <laughs> uh, it's not easy to, to, to be compromised after one or two or discussion. I think we need time. Was there any discussion of specifics, for instance, the threshold of support of 50% inside the nominating committee? Uh, we, we, uh, I think we, we, uh, we have not spent too, too, much, uh, too much time to, about, to talk about the details of the, the, the elections. Rather, we, we talk, discuss about the, the main, main issues, like uh, national securities, love China, love Hong Kong, and how to define it and say uh, why we support the uh, Occupy Central and what's the meaning of the Occupy Central. And lastly, we, 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 we are asking Mr. Chang to refer our point of view that please don't make firm decision on the coming election 17 in the coming uh, uh, MPCSC. And he seemed to accept that, right? I mean, didn't he tell you that um, it's not too late? There's still room for discussion. Yeah, and he said one since... Uh, there, there are no decision up to present no decision from the MPCSC. And secondly, uh, the MPCSC think it is quite important to listen to Democrats in Hong Kong. So they have these four meetings, and also the coming there will be three meetings in Samchan. And he think uh, no matter the central government and the uh, MPCSC will look into the details and what we are expressed to them. And so. Uh, it's, it's not too late. Did he seem at all pleased with the rather large turnout of the march this past Sunday, organized by the Alliance for Peace and Democracy, the sort of pro-loyalist group? Yeah. Did he indicate that he was he was pleased by that? Uh, he he has he hasn't have any comment on on this uh, movement, but we have. We we said that no matter is a, a, a occupy central or anti-occupy central, yet there are two very strong message. First. I think it's over one million people, um, no matter they sign up in the uh, Occupy Central or anti-Occupy Central, they support we should have direct election and uh, true democracies in 17. And secondly, please make, make it a peaceful way. Uh, the, the only differences between two is that uh, I, I, don't, I don't like your strategy. I, I said these are two clear messages. I hope Mr. Chung and uh, the, the government, our central government will I'm sure you made the point to him that this indicates that uh, Hong Kong people are quite reasonable. There's a lot of people out there who would support uh, yes. a more generalist, a more yes. reasonable approach, and, and probably would not elect uh, a rabid, uh, um, you know, Democrat who, you know, advocates, um, you know, quite strong views. Um, but um, he didn't seem to respond to that? Uh, I think uh, this is the, the main uh, differences between... Uh, uh, Mr. Chuang and, and uh, we, our group, and I think uh, I, I think we we need uh, some time to talk with him.
to to tell him why when we have two democracies in Hong Kong, actually you are uh, rising, uh, assimilating people to have more sense of belonging and more love Hong Kong, love uh, this place, and it implies love China. So can you take away from the meeting that there is still some room for compromise? I mean, you look at the editorials in the Hong Kong press today, they're all kind of talking about uh, the need for compromise and uh, for both sides to give a little. Uh, I, I don't know, because some, something uh, in, uh, it, uh, touching the, the basic values. If uh, the basic value, we, we can't make some compromise or we can't find our weight and outlet to, to make it. So what are you uh, saying so we, that... There what, will be no compromise. What are you saying that you absolutely cannot compromise on? Uh, we want to choose democracies. The 17 elections should be giving a chance for Hong Kong people to choose the CE. And you say, no, never, sorry. Then no compromise, sorry. Yeah, so you're asking... Actually, all you're asking for is that there is a genuine choice of candidates for people to select. Yes, right. Okay, well, um, it's very interesting, um, Mr. Fong. Thank you very much for joining us here on Radio 3. Yeah, thank you. Yes, that's Frederick Fong from the ADPL talking about a meeting yesterday with the liaison chief, Zhang Xiaoming. Brings the time to five minutes before 9 o'clock. Well, the Hong Kong 2020 think tank has criticized the government's submissions to the central government on political reform, describing them as inadequate and misleading. An opinion poll that the group commissioned earlier this month found the public wanted to see changes made to the way that Lejka was elected in 2016 and that it opposes any form of screening for candidates in the 2017 chief executive poll. Are you Chiverton asked the convener of Hong Kong 2020, Anson Chan, for the most important finding in this poll. I think the um, single most important message is people do not want a fake set of so-called universal suffrage proposals. They want choice, they want competition. In other words, the government should stop pretending that one man, one vote achieves the purpose. It does not. There is no point in exercising one man, one vote if all the nominees come from Beijing. Uh, do you think we also learn, though, that something is better than nothing and um, I- I- nobody wants a fake, but if it's, uh, uh, if, if it's better than what we have now, then maybe we should uh, take the chance? Well, they are. I think the response shows clearly that people feel it is not better than what we have. If we pocket the so-called one-man-one-vote without choice and without competition, um, there is no guarantee that come 2017 that there will be further improvements. Of course, they're now dangling this little carrot and saying, okay, pocket this and further down the road, we will have further reforms. When? It isn't as if the government has offered a firm timetable. Look at how long we've been waiting for functional constituencies to be abolished. And now the government claims that public response feels that there is no need to make any changes to the 2016 legal elections. And that is Anson Chan from Hong Kong 2020. To international news, President Obama has urged restraint in Ferguson, Missouri, where violence erupted over the shooting of a teenager. Missouri's governor has now deployed the National Guard to patrol the streets. The BBC's Alim Makbul reports from Ferguson. Chaos once again on the streets of Missouri. Police used tear gas and sound bombs to clear protesters. People in Ferguson say they feel under siege and won't stand for it. They hit me with this rubber bullet and I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to go to the hospital right now and I'll be back tomorrow. 
this would be very calm if it wasn't for the police. If the police wasn't acting like they were coming here to attack us, they would not be doing this. The images of police using force against peaceful protesters has shocked many across America. But it's obvious, too, that people here are now prepared to confront the police. It's why the authorities say they'll now deploy troops in Ferguson, a place that some here already say feels like a war zone. Well, I understand the passions and the anger uh, that arise over the death of Michael Brown. Giving in to that anger by looting or carrying guns and even attacking the police only deserves to raise tensions and stir chaos. There's been more than a week of violence since police shot dead Michael Brown. He was 18 and unarmed. Police released video they say shows him being aggressive and stealing cigars from a shop, but also say the officer who killed him wasn't aware of the robbery. His family said they didn't trust the police, so commissioned their own post-mortem. They say it proves he was shot multiple times. He was shot at least six times. And the other critical point that I want everyone to be very clear on, the arm is a very mobile part of your body. So it also could have occurred when he was putting his hands up. So I put my hands up and you see where that wound is at. It could have happened if he put his arms across in a defensive manner. We don't know. In a state in which the vast majority of people are white, Ferguson's a town where more than two-thirds are black. But for years, many here say they've been treated like second-class citizens. For many, deploying troops is not the answer. There's no military solution to this problem. More police, more scab over the wound, more National Guard, more scab. But the wound is not being addressed. We need peace, presence of justice, and that means going to the root cause of alienation. Blacks been locked out of this economy. Missouri's governor might hope National Guard troops will bring calm, but there's no doubt some local people already feel it is just another provocative step. BBC's Alim Makbul reporting from Ferguson. Well, the weather today as we go out, mainly cloudy with showers expected, uh, some squally thunderstorms. The maximum temperature just 30 degrees today. We'll see you tomorrow here on Money for Nothing. Okay, radio free.